The first name that was given for uh, Jesus uh, here is the word, word, logos. We saw before that that's a somewhat abstract kind of concept. It's a little bizarre. Uh, It's philosophical. If you like philosophy, that was probably your sermon last week. If you didn't, well, we'll try again this week. Um, Jesus is the word. It says, in the beginning was the word. Before there was anything, before there was time, before there was space, there was Jesus, who is the word. It's as though John um, is pulling back a curtain of the stage, of everything we can see and know, time and space, and he pulls back the curtain just a little bit to show you that behind the line, behind the set, there is God himself before anything else was. And he is very busy. In fact, he is always busy. He is always active. He is always alive. And one of his names is Word. But of course, that's very philosophical. We understand word to be God's self-disclosure, his self-expression, his self-revelation through all of creation and redemption. So much so that he is the unifying logic behind everything that can be known. Logos and logic are the same similar words. That's what's going on. That's very philosophical. It's very abstract. We probably feel all very good about ourselves being high-minded and high-browed and, you know, we kind of tuck our shirt in and think about deep things. And Well, the reality here is that John immediately pivots from that to be much more practical, much more real. And what he does is he says, now this logos, this word, the eternal word of God, he also goes by other names. And you know these ones much more better. He is called life and light. That is, we have this concept of Jesus as the logos, but how do you really know how a thing is? You have to break it apart into pieces or at least look at it from different angles. And so John does that and says, yes, he is the logos. And if that doesn't help you much, let me tell you that he's also called life and he's also called light. It's like when you're at a Christmas meal this year and you're sitting around with a family and you say to someone across the table, you look really ectomorphic this year. And then someone says, don't talk about my wife that way. And you say, no, no, no. It just means you look very thin. You look, you look fit. And see, well, that changes things. We could say Jesus is called Logos. That's going to take a whole sermon to explain. So John just simply says, well, he's light. You know that. Every day you live with that. And he's life. Every day you live with life. That's how you live. You see, he just explained him again. But in a way that just seems to be more simple and make more sense. In him was life. In him was life. That is, there's no way we could say that about ourselves. What he's saying is, Jesus Christ is his own. He possesses life in and of himself. See, for us, we would say we have life in our bread. We have life in our blood. We have life in our breath. See, our life is always contingent upon something. 
We don't really have life. Genesis 2-7, we're told that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a, quote, living being. Leviticus 17, we're told that every creature that has life has the blood of life in it. And then Jesus is even warning us, particularly warning us today. Hear this word. John 6, do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. If your life is in your bread, you do not have life. He says about himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. That's the promise. Because of the busyness of life, the time when, when you don't have time to philosophize, when you don't have time to think about why am I doing anything, you're just busy trying to make bread so that you'll eat it, so that you'll die. It's a reason John's talking this way. Because we are foolish and we are in the dark. And so he's saying, remember, there is a logos behind all logic. There is a life behind all your breathing. There is a light behind the very sun. And his name is Jesus Christ. There was a time when Moses was introduced to God this way. He was walking through the wilderness, and it was the famous episode in which he encountered a burning bush. He saw in that bush two things that John is telling you now. An independent, inexplicable light and life. He was walking and saw this bush that was burning and not consumed. He turned aside to see why he wanted to be a philosopher for a minute. Why isn't this bush being consumed? And then from that bush there was the angel of the Lord in which we're told that God spoke and called out to him from the bush, told him to take his shoes off and bow down. And then Moses said, what is your name? God respond, I am who I am. He didn't say, I am a bread eater. He didn't say, I am an air breather. He said, I am. I depend on nothing. I simply am life. The same way the fire the light of that fire didn't need the bush. It's the same way God needs absolutely nothing. He is pure being. He is his own. And everything is based and predicated on him. If you ever struggle with anxiety, if you ever feel like your life is too much to handle, it's the first word of that sentence that's wrong. You think it's your life. You've taken far too much than you should have. Your life is not your own. In him you live and move and have your being. 
Corinthians 10 says, there is nothing that will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Whenever you are pressed too much, you always will provide a way of escape. Your life is in his life. Why should you ever worry? Jesus says, don't the Gentiles long for this? What shall I eat? What shall I drink? Where shall I go? The godless ones who don't know God worry about these things. So we have Jesus, who is called light and life. All things created through him, we're told, John says, and nothing was made that was not made except by him. Hebrews 1.3, he upholds the universe by the word, his name's Logos, the word of his power. But light is a little different than life. See, life is the image of your being. Your, your life is you. That is, you just being who you are. If you lost all your five senses, if you couldn't see, taste, touch, or smell, you would still be. But it just so happens that God has given you things to do. And therefore you have stuff to do. And you can't do anything if the sun doesn't come up. You can't do anything if the internet shuts down. You can't do anything if the power company isn't working. If there is no light, there's nothing for you to do. There's no knowledge and no doing. That is, no information. That is, your being, your life is you as you are. And the light is your knowledge and doing in the light of God's existence. Your light is your knowledge, knowing things. How do you know anything? Jesus. How do you do anything? Jesus. Who are you? You're, you are a life by the life, which is Jesus. And what do you do? Well, I have to know stuff to do stuff. You need light. Where do you get that light? Jesus. All of your information. All of your intellection. All of your logic. All of your ability to do induction, deduction, retroduction. All these intellectual capacities that are unique to us as humans. John is saying, that's Jesus. The impressions you have upon your mind by logical inference, that you can't explain why 2 plus 2 equals 4, you just really feel that it's not 5. That's because he made you that way. He wired you that way. We think this way. We think and reason in his light. Our light is his light. But then it's more than just information. You see, it's not math or logic only. Throughout scripture, light is also ethical or moral. It's, it's, it's the darkness. That's the problem. Intellectual darkness, lack of information, sure. But really moral darkness. That's the problem. That's why the gospel is so much about sin. That's why the gospel isn't being preached. Don't you know you need to read the good textbook? There's a really good piece of information in here for you that you don't know. And there's a big exam at the end of the day. It's a Scantron test of ABC fill in the blank. That's called the day of judgment in heaven. No. Intellectual ability is not our judge. It's our moral problems. There's another type of darkness in us. A type of darkness that is evil. A type of darkness that wants to hide from God. You see, 1 Thessalonians 5.7 says, For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Later John will say in John 3, Light has come into the world, 
But people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The reason we hide our sins in the dark is a testimony to Jesus Christ's light. That is, when we are doing something wrong, we know it's wrong. And we want to go to the dark to do it. I've always thought it was interesting. One pastor once said, before you watch a movie, pray. And then after you watch the movie, pray. And if you can't pray after, you shouldn't watch the movie. Do you see how light and dark work? If you, if you can't sing a psalm at the end of a movie, that means you went somewhere into the darkness because you're ashamed to approach the light. You see? But why do you not feel like you should do that? Because you were built with a natural light that is a moral conscience that testifies to you every day. And we live in that every day. This is our life and our light. And that is these secret sins that happen in whispers. Whatever is true, good, and beautiful. Anything in there, the Lord has written upon our heart. And so when we find things that are not true, not good, and not beautiful, we go over and entertain them in the darkness. But we have to do it in the darkness because we know God has made us in such a way that we know it's wrong. We know it's not light. This is what people have spoken of as the light of nature. That is, our natural, the way God made us, ability to reason and think and also make moral decisions. Which is the whole uniqueness is of being humans. The, the language here in verse 9 is true light which gives light to everyone. Now the ESV translates it everyone. The Greek literally just says anthropos, which is man or mankind. So you don't hear the language so much in the English, but what he's really saying is humanness, mankindness, anthroposness. That is, a unique human ability is that we have a light that is incredibly intelligent and also very moral, that we know what's right and wrong. No one has to tell us that. We just know it. And we're also able to infer so much more information, right? There's no, you're not going to go down to your local um, uh, park and find a dam and get inside the beaver dam and find a whole library of books inside there. Like, they don't, they have an intelligence to make some type of dam, but they haven't been able to um, connect it to some wires to make thermogeneration or electric generation from their dam, right? They, they don't have logos behind their dam. They just put some trees down over a stream and it stops the water. But they don't have a library, but Jesus himself is presented to us as the Logos, the language of God. And our whole uniqueness as being humans is that we are incredibly literate. We are full of language and we love language. And we love seeing language in the world and information everywhere. This is what is called God's light upon us. The light of nature that makes us unique humans. That's inside and outside of us. Example, decades ago, very intelligent man, if you would say this man was full of logos, very smart, 
His name is Francis Crick. He broke open the DNA amongst, with his other team of helpers. And this is really what John is saying. As he unfolded DNA, he had a tremendous amount of light inside of him. He's a very intelligent person. But also, he was able to do something that no one else ever did in the whole history of humanity. He was able to find intelligence down into the center of a cell and a molecule, deoxyribonucleic acid. Sounds funny, it sounds smart to say. He was able to get inside that, and when he opened it, he found language. Uracil, guanine, thymine, all coded in a certain way so that it actually was a book of language. So what you have there is internal light, that is a very smart, intellectual, logic man who is able to discern things inside of a whole world that's full of light, that is information and logic and language outside. That's the problem John is making out. Because as that man discerned DNA, he died an atheist. He entered in on February 28th, 1953, to his favorite pub in Cambridge, where he studied his physics and biology. And he barged into the pub, as the story goes, and said, I have found the secret to life. I have uncoded the DNA. And he spent the rest of his life studying mind and human consciousness and all the mysteries, and then he died. An atheist, saying that this idea of God is really irrelevant to him. He just wants to know information. But you see, all things were created by the Word. We all live in the light of the Logos, whether inside of us with our mind that's constantly running and thinking, we never shut it off, even when we're sleeping, we're dreaming, we cannot get away from the indelible mark he's placed upon us in our intellection, and then everywhere we look, we have to see the light of the Logos outside. But a very intelligent man like him could never ask one more question, which is the very first question that John leads in with his gospel. Why? Why does it just so happen that the logic inside of us matches the logic outside of us? Why does it just so happen that the compasses happen to polarize and attract the way they do. It just so happens that way. No. If you don't have a reason for your reason, your reason is unreasonable. If you don't have a logic behind your logic, your logic is illogical. It just so happens that we're intelligent enough to interpret all the logos outside of us because we only, in all of creation, no other animal is this way in which we have a tremendous capacity inside of us to infer the logic that's presented outside of us. The point of the whole gospel for John is to say, yes, because there is the one from before, the eternal logos Jesus Christ who has made this whole world this way, and he should be praised and glorified and honored for it. It's nothing more complicated 
than the sensors at the bottom of a garage door. You go home and you pull your car in and you open that garage door. You have a sensor from one and a sensor from the other. They shoot light upon one another. And it just so happens, of course, because there's no reason or design or logic behind it, that these two sensors have to match perfectly on their depth and height so that a light can communicate to a light and therefore the door opens or shuts. It just so happens. But you see, our whole human existence is just that. That all the logic and the light of the Logos inside of us as he's made us in his image communicates perfectly with all the Logos or the information and light that he has made outside of us. And if you can't explain that, if you don't know why that is, you're living your life fully by faith, but an unreasonable faith, a faith without logic, a faith without the Logos, a foolish faith. You're living your life, as Psalm 14 says, as a fool who says in his heart, there is no God. For you to say that, you relied on God in every syllable and sentence and breath before it crossed your teeth. This is the absurdity of it all. So the problem, of course, then, is how John says it. The problem remains that the light has shined in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. That is, though everything in our life seems to be perfectly proportioned to perceive the language of God's mind, we never actually arrive at the knowledge of God's mind. Because the darkness in us is powerful. It is immense. I had a conversation uh, with my daughter. We do story time at night. And uh, there's a book I've been uh, reading with her. It's called uh, The Big Questions. A book of 100 questions and answers about Jesus. And it was written by uh, Sinclair Ferguson. It's a great little book. I like it a lot. I've only read it uh, once. We only got to one question, and this was the one. Question is, why is Jesus so special? And um, she was 100% confident uh, that she was going to say, because he's God. She was right. And I flipped the page, because they give you the answer to these questions, just in case you don't know. And it said, because he was God and man. And then I said, oh, Lily, your answer is really good. It was wrong. It's because he's God and man. And she paused. She's laying there in bed. Her eyes got real big. And she said, she thought for sure that's like she knew. She looked at me. She said, Daddy, can you teach me everything you know before I go to bed? Before I go to bed. (laughs) And I said, For some people, that would be a task, but I could probably get it done within an hour. (laughs) That question, I'll remember it now, of course, because it's just so naive. Teach you everything I know. I love this gospel. Out of all the gospels, it's John. He's always making a play on words, he's always making a double meaning. For the problem is the solution. He says the light has shined into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. 
but he uses a word for overcome that could have multiple meanings. It could mean overcome as in master, to have control or mastery over something. Or it could mean comprehend or understand. So the verse could read, the light has shined in the darkness, but the darkness has not comprehended it, not understood it. Or the light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, not mastered it. And that is the solution. Though it is true that God has revealed himself through all this world, and though it is true that we in our moral depravity have suppressed that knowledge, even the most intellectually gifted and situationally positioned people to interpret the most profound mysteries of God's information and wisdom in the world, have suppressed that knowledge. The whole reason John is even writing this gospel is to say, yes, he knows The whole world, all the Gentile nations have went in their own ways in paganism and darkness. But this Logos has come again in another way. He took on flesh so that there would even be more light, more manifestation, more knowledge of God. And then even then, they did not comprehend him. They thought him to be a false messiah. They crucified and killed him because their deeds were evil. And he rose from the grave and forgave them their sins, and brought salvation to the world. And then 50 days later, as if they could forget this fact of history, and Jesus would be nothing more than another figure for the history books, he poured out his Spirit at the day of Pentecost, and filled everybody with tongues of fire, languages of light, to speak of God's truth to all the world. Not so much on the outside, which is all the evidences we have denied every day, but then to fill us with his very self on the inside and bring an intellectual illumination of the light, of the knowledge, of the goodness and grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The beauty of pushing back against God's light is that we actually don't know how much light there really is. He is the eternal light before all. It's as foolish as my daughter asking me, could you please just tell me everything you know in a few more minutes before I fall asleep? I don't believe we have seen the grace of Jesus Christ yet. He has only begun to show his light into this world. This Christmas is only one more Christmas. There have never been so many people full of light in the history of humanity. I counsel my wife, I counsel myself, I counsel people in the church. Yes, the world is dark. Yes, there is remaining evil in your heart. Yes, there is remaining evil in your family. Yes, there is sin in this world, in this culture. 
But do not presume that you have comprehended the reaches of God's light. Do not presume that you know how far this gospel will extend. Do not presume that you cannot change. That you cannot get rid of that sin. That your marriage cannot be better. That your family cannot be stronger. That this church cannot be more holy. That we cannot see a revival or a reformation in our country. Why would you think that God's light could not go that far? The point of the verse would be, you have not comprehended it. Why should you assume you know the depths of the glory of the light of the knowledge of Christ? He can get in to the heart of the most deepest and darkest sinner. Now we must live in that light and not presume like false children that now that we have heard the gospel once, well, that's all the light there ever was. The God himself took on flesh and he will not be denied. He will illuminate everything and every knee will bow and his glory will be from sea to shining sea. Dear Father God, we ask, Lord, that we would not be so naive as to think that we could learn everything from you. We ask, Lord, that we would not be so grown up that we've seen all the darkness in this world and therefore we know that the light we've seen from you is all that is left. Father, we ask this Christmas that you would make us have faith like children. That we would simply just believe that your goodness will not be stopped. No one can resist you as much as darkness can resist light. Your very presence is sure enough to make all the demons flee from our life, from our family, and from our very own souls, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would purge us with this light. Make us holy. Make us sinless. Make us like your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand if you're able?